Hello and welcome to the Runcast. I'm Maya Beckvall and this episode is all about a pretty famous group of Viking Age runestones, uh, namely the ones commissioned by a man called Jorla Banki and his family. If you listened to the last episode, you may not be surprised to hear that we're in Upland for this episode because we're doing runestones and Upland is rune country. And if Upland is rune country, there's an area of Upland that's rune central and that's around what's now some pretty small towns uh, called Valentuna and Tabby, just north of Stockholm. Uh, this has been a rich and powerful part of Sweden for a long time and it really was a place where people liked to show off that power and wealth by way of runestones. And Jarabanki and his family are a prime example of this. There's a reason why Jarlabanki is the most famous person in this Viking Age family, and it's a reason that makes me think he'd be extremely pleased to know that we're still talking about him a thousand years after he lived. So if you go to Tabby today, you'll see a walkway by the side of the road. And this is an attempt at reconstructing Jarlabanki's monument. Today it has two runestones and a number of standing stones, uh, but the original monument may have had several more. In all, we know of six so-called Jarlabanki stones, and they all have something in common. I thought I'd read them to you, uh, and maybe you can hear what it is. So, U-127. Jarlabanki let reisa steina thessa at sig kvikvan, och bra thessa gerði för ansina, och en atti tabu allan. U-164. Jarlabanki let reisa steina thessi at sig kvikvan och bra thessa gerði för ansina och en atti alland hävi. Gud hjälpi and hans. U165. Jarlabanki let reisa steina thessa at sig kvikvan och bra thessa gerði för ansina. Something something atti alland hävi. U261. Jarlabanki let reisa steina thessa at sig kvikvan och bra thessa gerði för ansina och en atti allantäby. U149. Jarlabanki, and there's a lacuna here, stein at sjalvansik och bra turidia. U212, finally. The first side says, Jarlabanki let reisa stein thenna at sig kvikvan Han atti ein tabi allan, gud hjälpi and hans. And on the second side, Jarlabanki let reisa stein thenna at sig kvikvan och thingstad thenna gerði och ein atti allt hundari thetta. Uh, apologies for the slightly modern Icelandic sound of that, I can't help it. But I don't think I have to translate every single one of these. Uh, even if you don't understand anything else, you may notice that there's only one name on these stones. Uh, and that name is Jarlabanki. So the translation of the most recurring phrase is Jarlabanki had these stones erected in memory of himself while alive and made this bridge for his soul and he alone owned all of Tabu. And this was a message that was so important for him to get across that he used this medium that was normally reserved for memorializing the dead and for making various property claims to be fair and he memorialized himself. Uh, several of these were found in the walls of churches, which means they were removed and repurposed at one some point when the church was built. So we don't know exactly how they were placed originally. 
But the function of repeating the same message over and over and over and over and over again is one that we do recognize because it's basically the same thing that ads do now. It's a clear message, it's in your face, and it's several times a day. So Yarabanki really, really wanted people to get this. Now, um, Yarabanki wasn't some nobody who rode into town one day and claimed to be the sheriff. He was a member of family who really made their presence in this area known and seemed to have been rich and influential for generations. All in all, there are at least 16 runestones connected to this family, and it's not unlikely that there are two more that can be added to that, making it 18. And at this point, I have to point out that this is very unusual to have this many inscriptions that can be linked together to one family. It's natural that we would like talking about the exceptional inscriptions, um, but remember they're not representative of the runestone tradition, really. Um, most runestones we do have are one-offs, and they are the only traces of these people that remain. So this is a very special case. But it's also a really fun case, so that's, of course, why I'm doing an entire episode on it. So the runestones erected by this family involve four generations. The oldest one in the group is dated about 1025, thereabouts, and it's commissioned by a couple, Eustein and Esteder, in memory of their son, who had a quite unusual name. He's called Gager, or Kakir, something like that. Uh, of these two, uh, runestone commissioners, Estrider is the one who survives the longest. Now, Jordamanki really makes his name known, but Estrider is actually the one who's the most active runestone commissioner in this family. In many ways, this group of stones is Estrider's family. Runestones where she is one of the commissioners can be dated over several decades in the 11th century. And of course, because runestones, if you're not Yarlabanki, tend to memorialize someone who's died, this means that Estrider saw a lot of her family die. Um, her first husband, Eustein, uh, had an unusual fate, which we know from the runestone Estrider commissioned in his memory, which is U136, if you're keeping track. And it reads, Estrider let reisa steina thessa at Eustein banta sin, es sotti jorsalir och endadis upp i grikium. Estrider had these stones raised in memory of Eustein, her husband, who headed for Jerusalem and died in Greece. So, in all likelihood, Eustein died while on a pilgrimage. And remember, at this point, we're in the early to mid-11th century, Christianity hasn't been established in Sweden for more than a few generations. This is a very early Christian pilgrimage from Scandinavia. And it must have been a huge undertaking as well, um, which also shows that this is a family with means and influence. We don't know if Estrella stayed at home or if she went as well, uh, and in that case returned when her husband didn't. You may have noticed that the inscription mentions stones in the plural, um, and there is a second runestone right at the same time, U135, uh, and it says, Ingefaster och Eustein och Svein let du reisa steina thessa at Eustein fadersin, och bra thessa gerdu och haug thenna. Ingefaster and Eustein and Svein have these stones raised in memory of Eustein, their father, and made this bridge and this mound. So these are Estrithers and Eustein's sons, who together with their mother commissioned these two runestones in memory of Eustein, as well as a bridge and a mound. So again, quite a display of money and power. 
The next person to die in Estrida's family is her daughter-in-law, called Rechtefrieder, who's memorialized in a runestone commissioned by her husband, Inge Faster, and their son, Heminger. And also at some point around here, in the mid-11th century, um, Estrid remarries. Um, she marries a man called Ingvar. Uh, unfortunately, both Ingvar and one of the sons Astrid has with him, Rachvalter, die from her as well, which we of course know because of another runestone which is dated to the late 11th century. And you may have noticed that no daughters have turned up in the inscriptions. This could, of course, mean that Astrida never had any daughters, but it is a general tendency you see across Viking Age runestones. More men than women are commissioners of runestones, and more men than women are memorialized. When women commission runestones, they're most often wives or mothers. So any daughters of Eystein or Ingvar would probably not have been in a position in society where they were commissioning runestones. So now... Estrida is probably well into her middle age, uh, and she's lost at least two husbands, a son and a daughter-in-law. And then, pretty close in time to her second husband's death, two of her sons die. Inge Faster, her son with Eystein, and Ingvar, who was Ingvar's son. Uh, there are two runestones that are primarily in memory of Inge Faster, and where Estrida also commemorates Ingvar. So the phrasing on one of them is Jorunner had the bridges made in memory of her husband and Haminger and Jarabanki in memory of Ingifaster, Estrider in memory of Ingvar, an excellent valiant man. And you get a similar phrase in the second. Haminger and Jarabanki, they had the path cleared and the bridges made in memory of their father and Estrider in memory of her sons Ingifaster and Ingvar, may God help their souls. And then there's a third runestone um, where both Ingifaster and Ingvar are commemorated on more equal footing, so to speak. And although it's damaged, it's most likely commissioned by Jorunner and Estrider in memory of Ingifaster and Ingvar. So in this way, Estrider makes sure to have her son with her second husband commemorated along with her son with her first husband, who seems to be a slightly more powerful family. So of course there's grief here, there's the importance of memorialising someone, but there's also a bit of local politics going on in the choice of runestones and who does what. You can also note that, again, we have another woman doing quite a lot of runestone commissioning, namely Jorunner, the wife of Inge Faster. And the Jarlabanki, who you heard as one of the commissioners on the stone is our self-sufficient guy from before. He's Ingefaster's son and Jorun's son and also Estrider's grandson. There is a bit of strangeness going on here because there are actually two Jarlabanki, one of whom is Estrider's son with Ingvar. And these are the only two people called Jarlabanki, the entire runestone corpus. So it's probably a name that runs in Estrider's family. There's some other weirdness that I might return to in a later episode, but for now it's all a bit too complicated. So, for now, the Jarlabank we're talking about is Estrider's grandson. So, these stones are the last ones involving Estrider. There's no runestone memory of her. I kind of hope there once was one that we might find it someday. And so the remaining runestones from Estrider's and Jarlabank's family involve Jarlabanki. Um, apart from commissioning stones for himself, we also know that he lost a son called Svein, 
Uh, he erects a stone in memory of him together with his wife called Fastvi. He must also have lost her because when he dies, the people commissioning a stone in his memory were his son Ingifaster, named for his dad, and his second wife, Ketilö. And interestingly, that stone defines Jarlabanki as the son of Jorunur, possibly to distinguish him from the other Jarlabanki. Probably also because there's a lot of complicated inheritance property debate going on here. Uh, who who inherits whom and, and who owns all of Tabby? Well, we know who owns all of Tabby. So there is a way of dating Swedish Viking runestones that might be useful to know about and becomes quite relevant when we talk about this family. Um, insert dating joke here. The archaeologist Anne-Sophie Graslund came up with this method of dating runestones relatively to one another using the ornamentation on the stones and also multi-generational groups of stones. As you probably know, your typical Swedish Viking Age runestone has quite a lot of ornamentation. Uh, the runes are often written in a band that's shaped like a snake or a dragon or a rune animal, whatever you want to call it. And especially looking at the heads of these rune animals, you can tell their approximate place within the 11th century. And this is called PR dating or profile dating. Insert dating profile joke here. So basically, the oldest runestones in Sweden have no rune animal. And then you get the oldest snakes, where you see the head from above. So not in profile, but a bird's eye view. And they're usually called FP for fågelperspektiv, which is Swedish for bird's eye view. It's literally bird perspective. And that's early 11th century, late 10th century. And after that, you have five different profiles, each being popular for about a generation, so about 25 years. Pier 1, then, is about year 1000 to 1025. Pier 2 is 1025 to 1050, and so on. But there is a lot of overlap, and sometimes you'll have two snakes with different profiles on the same stone. I will put some images on the website, but the rule of thumb, which is nice, to know, uh, is they start with round eyes, and the younger they are, the more elongated the head and eye get. There are a lot of other markers, but this is the clearest one. So one of the ways Grasland figured this out was by looking at runestone commissioned by different generations of the same family and seeing how the style changed. It's pretty easy if you have, say, a man commissioning a runestone, and you later see that same man's name on a stone in memory of him after his death, you know which one is the oldest. And so the family we're talking about today is a great source for this, because you have so many stones, you have several generations. And it also shows how careful you have to be with this way of dating runestones, um, because as you hopefully saw when I went through this family's history, you don't get 25 years between each runestone with a different profile dating. What we're seeing is rather we're moving on in time. As I wrap up this episode, if you like runestones commissioned by someone in memory of themselves, if you like 11th century people going on pilgrimages, and if you like women who commission runestones, I recommend the unfortunately now lost U605. It reads, Ingerun, Harder's daughter, had the runes carved in memory of herself. She wants to travel to the east and abroad to Jerusalem. Fotter carved the runes. So it has all of those things, and we 
Don't know what happened to Ingerun. We don't even know that that was her name. Probably was. And a second and final side note. Uh, if you for some reason want to hear more runic inscriptions read in my soothing voice, uh, you're in luck. Because I spent a couple of really nice days at the Swedish National Heritage Board in Visby uh, recording a number of runic inscriptions uh, in some kind of approximation of the original language, as well as the English and Swedish translations, and sometimes even the Danish translation. And these have been uploaded to Wikimedia Commons for free use, and if you go to, for instance, the Wikipedia page for the Yelling Stones or the Rökstone, there should be a recording there. And my friends at the National Heritage Board are planning a blog post uh, talking about this and a podcast episode in Swedish in the coming weeks. Um, and I'll link to those from the Runecast Twitter account and from Runeforum's Facebook page when they're up. And with that, and we can think about Jarlabanki and Estrider and the extreme amount of people who die in the Viking Age family. And uh, thank you very much for listening. Until next time, as always, stay ruined. The Runecast is made by me, Maya Beckvall, and is funded by Riksbanken's Jubileumsfond, the Swedish Foundation for Humanities and Social Sciences, and with support from Uppsala Runic Forum at the Department of Scandinavian Languages at Uppsala University. You can find us on Twitter at RunecastPod in one word, and on Uppsala Runic Forum's Facebook page, which is Uppsala Run Forum. Think Rune Forum, but without the E. Run Forum. And here, as an extra bonus, is U937, translated into beginner's Japanese. Segn to Gunnaroa, Sekihi o Tatemashita. Oni san no veder o omoidashimasu.